pray and ask these things. Amen. Ah, you know me. I like Sunday drives. We're going to take a Sunday drive to Ephesians 1 via Hosea. And I know what you're thinking. Man, in the past, we've wore Hosea out. All of the guys before you and now you are coming in here and wearing Hosea out. My Bible falls open to Hosea, right? Everybody's saying, Hosea, who? No way, Hosea. (laughs) Yeah, try to find Hosea chapter 1. We're going to start there. And as we do, I want to ask you something. And I want you all to relax this morning. And I want you just to soak up this grace, this mercy that we're going to find out from God. But he takes the hard way sometimes to get us there. He's used people for some surprising purposes for us to come to that understanding. Take, for example, Noah. Anyone ever asked you to do something just crazy, off the charts, that you're like, really? You want me to do that with you or for you? No way. I've had a few of those, but nothing like these Bible characters. Think about Noah. He's out in the field one day. And he hears a voice calling his name. And he's like, why, Lord? I'm hoping this is good that you're dialing my number today. I hope that everything's all right. And he said, oh, it is. But you see, there's this thing called rain that I'm going to make happen. It's not ever rained yet. But you know that little mist that comes up from the ground and waters the garden? Well, I'm going to make it come down in abundance from the sky and from underneath the ground. And I'm going to open up this thing called floodgates. And it's going to destroy all life upon the planet except for you and your family. If you can get them to come on board with you. And I'm sure he didn't understand everything that God was asking him to do. And then God also tells him, and by the way, I want you to build this thing called an ark because of this water. And it's going to be this big and this wide and this long. And it's going to take you 120 years to do it. (laughs) Can you imagine that? He spent 120 years building a boat for something that he didn't even know what it was for because he had never seen it. But in faith, he did it because God asked him to do it. You think, that's crazy. What about Moses? Moses was in Pharaoh's court. He was an adopted, and we're going to go there today too, but he was an adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he's the adopted grandson of Pharaoh in lineage to be possibly the next Pharaoh. He grew up in the king's court. He grew up with every amenity that that provides in education, in food, in splendor, and wealth. And one day he chose to not stay there, but to go represent his Hebrew ancestors. And he ends up killing a man. And he runs off. Goes to the desert of Midian. He's there for 40 years. Life's good. It's not like in the palace. But it's good. I got my sheep. I got my goats. I've found a guy that I'm serving. 
I'm taking care of his flock. I'm building my own. I married his daughter. I've got two kids. Life's good. I've been here 40 years. This, I'm settled in. Guess what? <laughs> He's out there with his sheep and his goats and looks over and this bush is burning. Well, that's odd. How did that start? So he goes walking over there and the closer he gets, he starts to notice something. It's a big fire, but nothing's happening to the bush. It's staying the way it is. And so he draws a little closer. And as he does, this voice drops out of heaven. And it says, Moses, who are you? He says, I am that I am. I'm the God of your ancestors. And I want you to do something for me. He says, well, what's that, Lord? I want you to leave this home that you've been building. And I want you to go back to Egypt. What? Yeah, I want you to go back to Egypt. Because I want you to go tell old Pharaoh, let my people go. But Lord, they they want me for murder. If I go back there, I left that palace. It's okay, trust me. I know I'm asking you to do a crazy thing. But not only that, it's going to get worse for you. Once you go back there and show my power to the people, then I'm going to ask you to go into the desert with this group of unruly, stiff-necked people that's going to give you trouble every day. And for 40 years, you're going to march with them through the desert, and you're going to have to put up with them. And at the end, you're not even going to get to cross over into that promised land. But I'm going to ask you to do that for me, Gazintai. God's asked some people to do some pretty crazy things, hasn't he? But nothing that's kind of off the chart like what he asked Hosea to do. So if you're there with me this morning on Hosea chapter 1 as we begin. Now Hosea gets there. And it's not going to take us very long to see what God is going to ask him to do. Because in verse 1 he says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea the son of Beeri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah kings of Judah... And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now that was written to establish that this is from God. It's from the word of God. The word of the Lord that came to him. And you know what the first thing it says that he asked him of? Look at verse 2. He gets this direction from God. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto yourself a wife of whoredom. And children of whoredoms. For the land has committed great whoredom in departing from the Lord. When he got up from passing out and hitting his head on the rock. And his ears are still ringing. He's like, wait a minute. Did I really hear what you said, Lord? Didn't you really say take you a wife of royalty? No, look again, Hosea, I said, I want you to take to yourself a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms because you're going to be an example to me, to this land, because the land has committed, my people, my bride has committed great whoredoms against me. 
departing from the Lord. And so I am asking you to be an illustration for me. That's, that's out there, isn't it? For something to be asked of. Now, wait a minute. You're wanting me to, to go find her and then accept children from that. Yeah. I want you to do that. I can just hear Hosea. Lord, this is a test, isn't it? It's kind of like with Abraham when you told him to go take Isaac and put him on an altar and then you stopped him, right? Right before it happened. So you're just testing me and, and about the time I'm going to say I do, you're going to say, no, you don't have to. Is that right? No. This is a test to see if you're going to actually do what I told you to do this time and follow through with it. Now, for our teaching moment on that point before we go on. The teaching moment is this. I'm sure that that's not what Hosea had in mind when he signed up to be a prophet of God. Just like you and I, when we sign up to be Christians, we don't always know what's all in that word and what he's going to ask us about and to do and to give up, do we? But what he says is, is I want you to do it. And the moral of the story is we should do it. Because that's what he's asking us to do. Look at, look at Hosea's response. You know, Gomer is going to seek after other lovers from just the moment that he marries her because that's who she is. Verse 3. He went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame. That's who I'm going to put the blame on, is her dad. <laughs> oh, that was just a punchliner. So he went and took Gomer. Here's his response. The daughter of the blame, and she conceived and bare to him a son. And the Lord told Hosea to name this son Jezreel. The name Jezreel means God sows. You know, God's always providing, isn't he? He's, he's provided for Israel. He provided for everything they needed in the wilderness. He was still providing. He prepared a land for them before they ever arrived. And they were going to inherit. So, he's, so in these children, he's leading to a progression that the people had. God sowed. You're going to enjoy. You're going to reap what God sowed. You didn't sow it. God has prepared for you. Just like in eternal life, God has prepared us through Christ. We didn't have to sow that. He did. But then... He goes on and he says, the next child in verse 6, she conceived and bare a daughter. And the Lord told Hosea to name this girl Lo-Ruhamah. And Lo means not, no, never. And Ruhamah means mercy. So he named this child no mercy. And why? Because I've sowed, you've reaped. But you don't stay faithful to me. You go off after others just like she did in having this child with someone else. So now no mercy comes on. And she can't get past weaning no mercy or low ruhama until she has a son. And it's low am I. And that means not my people. So... You are not my people and I am not your God now because we've had a cascading downward spiritual spiral away from me. 
My people played the harlot. They disregarded the word of God. They disregarded God himself. And they've played the harlot with the things of the world. They still didn't repent when he removed his grace and said no more grace. And started disciplining them which is in love to make you realize that God loves you and you're better off with him. So repent and return but because you haven't now you are not my people. And both of these children the second two were due to her whoredoms and Hosea had to accept these children of whoredoms per the word of God. Now we, we continue on and we move on now to chapter 2. If you're following with me in Hosea. Hosea chapter 2. Gomer went so far into her sexual follies that she's no longer even a wife to Hosea. She's abandoned, ran off, and she's doing her own thing. Just like God's bride, his children sometimes like to do in this world. She seeks after her lovers, after the pleasures and the things that she craves of in this world. Verse 7, she seeks out her lovers, but she never gets fulfilled. She never gets enough. It never satisfied. It leaves this world and its pleasures will leave you unsatisfied. It will leave you hollow. It will lead you deeper and deeper into a pit of self-destruction. And she never came to realize at this point that God, her true husband, as the children of Israel, or Hosea, as being played out in our story, is the source of true blessings and pleasure and everything that you have in life. Without godliness in your life and fulfilling your role, you will never be satisfied, you will never be content, and you will continue Chasing after your lover, the things of this world. So in verse 11, God begins to take away all the mirth. He begins to take away all of the joy and the things in life. The purpose is to try to bring her back to him. And now our story gets totally weirded out. You thought we've been weird and God's been asking some some crazy things so far in the lives of these people. Well, stay tuned now. Turn to chapter 3 with me. In chapter 3, Hosea is told by God to do this. He says, The Lord said, Go, Hosea, go yet and love her that's been loving her friend. Go and love her that is even still an adulteress and do that, just like I, the Lord, has had a love toward my children, even though they play the harlot with other gods, and they love this world, and they love their wine. So Hosea goes and searches after Gomer. He's trying to figure out where she's run off to, what she's doing, and how do I find her and fulfill what God wants me to do. Hi, Bill. Nah, you're, you're fine, you're on time, and we've prayed for Dorothy. So, he goes seeking and he finally finds her. And you know where he finds his wife? On the slave auction block. Yeah, she went so far out, most of the scholars claim that she was probably a cult priestess with the Baal cult now, and so they kind of possessed her. And now that they've 
used her up. She's no good to them. And they're putting her up for auction to get the last ounce of whatever they can get out of her and just cast her off into nothingness. So Hosea, he goes down to the slave market. He's seeking. He's pursuing her in grace just as God pursues his people in grace. And it says in verse 2, I bought her back to myself. She was rightfully his. She just had abandoned him. And now no one knew that she was not his. Just like when we take on a name Christian, but we become so befuddled in the world that no one knows who we really belong to, right? So he goes down and he has to buy back what was rightfully his, but had abandoned him. So now he has to buy her back. She's put up for sale on a slave auction block. And it says there, it continues on in our verse, I bought her for myself for 15 pieces of silver, a homer of barley, and a half a homer of barley. Now, you say why that's in there. Well, God always does things for a purpose. There's never a word in here that's not there for a purpose. And the purpose is this, to show the price that was paid. The price that was paid for what had been rightfully his, but now he was going after and seeking to draw back to himself, was what Exodus 21 and verse 32 says, was the price of a slave who had been gored by an ox. So now whether that person had died and you were having to replace their worth as a slave, or whether they lived but now they were so diminished in their capacity to be able to to work as a slave, this is the price that you pay for someone who their ox gored your slave. That's the price that he paid for Gomer to be brought back to himself. And it's also the value of a woman is 30 shekels. So it's half the value because of the goring. Leviticus 27 and verse 4. So the price paid was given so that we realize the relevance, the relevance of what it took to get her back, what was rightfully his. But I want us to see something else here. Now here's where it starts to get good because you're all thinking, man, this is kind of a sad story going on so far, isn't it? Well, sometimes we have to learn the truth before we can be joyful in the rest of the story and the rest of the truth. This word here for purchasing her back to himself is not the normal word for purchasing a slave that you want to own and you want to have working for you. The word that's used here is for purchasing a slave that you are going to, in grace, completely set free. You're going to give them papers that says, I am no longer owned by anyone I have been set free from the bondage of slavery. I don't have to be working for no one. I can march on and I can now be free to do what I want to do. That's the word that's used here. He is in grace purchasing her complete freedom. Freedom from everything that was in the past. And who owned her. And what was going on with her. So now after the world And its pleasure system has used you and abused you. 
I hope that you find the one who is going to purchase your soul back and provide you freedom from the shackles of sin. Because that's where this story's going. The Lord says, go and do this to show my grace to my people of what I am going to do for them. And so now, chapter 3 still says that he asks her after he purchases her, I want you to abide with me for many days. I don't want you to play a harlot anymore. You won't belong to another man. And I will be unto you faithful as well. We're going to see that that's God calling us out of the world and out of its pleasure system and saying, I have purchased you. I have set you free, but the one thing I ask is you don't go back running around in that world again anymore. I just ask that you will stay with me and stay faithful to me this time. So now, why we did Ephesians via Hosea is for this. The Word of God tells you and I, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6, these things were done to those folks out in the wilderness, Moses, Noah, Hosea. These things were done for our examples today to the intent that we should not lust after the evil things as they lusted. And then verse 11 goes on to further state, All these things happen to them for our examples. They are written for our admonition, for our knowledge, our learning, and our lifting up of ourselves upon whom the end of the world's come. Okay, pastor, what purpose did you decide to use this illustration for? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Ephesians now. Where we've been. Remember the last couple weeks we've been in Ephesians? And we've been studying about these Great gifts of grace that God has bestowed upon us. That's where we're going now. And we've took this long Sunday drive to illustrate the point of what happens next. So if you're there with me in Ephesians chapter 1, let's start beginning in verse 2 and read. Grace has been given to you and peace from God the Father of us and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God... And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has through this grace and through him blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated you and I unto adoption of children. Remember those children in that story? He's adopted us of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of grace wherein he made us accepted in his beloved In whom, in his beloved, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now folks, that is a marvelous section of scripture for you and I. From God our Father. 
That's relationship. He's adopted us. He is now our father, and that is relationship. He is our father, and he has provided something through us. He blessed you and I with every spiritual blessing that the heavenlies has and affords has been deposited into our account to be used in this life to provide happiness, joy, and peace when we learn of them and we rest upon them. And then it says, he did this not because he owed us anything, we owed him. But he did this, it says, because it was his divine purpose, it was his divine plan, and it pleased him so much to do that. So that before the foundation of this world even existed, he was providing a plan of redemption for you and I to be drawn back to him through his son, Jesus Christ, and give us all of these blessings. Look at verse 4. He chose us. He chose us, God the Father. He chose us who believe in Christ that we can now be holy and blameless before him. How? How can a fleshly person like myself be that way? Because God looks upon, and shouldn't he see who I am? No. He sees who we are in Christ because his blood cleansed, his blood forgave, and we are now in him. And because God is love, he wanted to provide that. But God is also righteousness and justice, and the righteousness of God cannot dwell with sin. The justice of God said sin has to have a penalty. But the love of God designed a plan that provided a payment for the penalty to those who will accept that plan because he knew from the beginning that we would be a bride of whoredom just like Gomer was. And so he came up with this plan. And that plan centers around his son. And I want you to take a look up there at verse 5. Because there, this word in the original that says pro orizo means that is translated predetermined or predestined. People's got this one all messed up. What this means is, that word means to set boundaries and limits by a predetermined thing. When you get ready to buy a piece of property, someone has went out and surveyed the property beforehand so that you know what it is before you buy it. That was a predetermined plot of land. God made a plan. That plan was predetermined before the earth existed. That plan involves His Son, Jesus Christ, for redemption for us. That pre-established boundary is this. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus said, The boundary is, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. That's your boundary. He said it again in John. John wrote it this way in chapter 1 and verse 12. But as many as then receive him, this plan of God for the redemption, as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, adopted sons into the family of God. He gave us the power through belief in him to become that. So verse 5 there of our verse again says this. He predetermined. 
that he would adopt us as sons, those who believe in his son, his only begotten son, and we have been adopted in Christ. And that means we get the same rights, benefits, and blessings as Jesus does because we are in him. And it goes on to say that all of this is according to his good pleasure. It pleases him to provide these things for us so that we might praise him and be a praise of him in this world as we live, to be a praise to him of his glory and grace that he has provided through us and because he has accepted us in his beloved and in him, in Jesus, verse 7 says this. Now this is a real important one. This is what our story hinged upon and why we came through Hosea to get here. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to His grace. That riches of grace that was provided to you and I, not just forgiveness, but redemption. That word for redemption is the same word that's used in Hosea when he bought her back to himself that was lost. The definition of redemption is this. A full release of someone or something of the payment by a payment made in behalf of them for the ransom that was due. Redemption is to repurchase, to rebuy. She was, Gomer was already Hosea's, but she was lost and they didn't know it. And he had to repurchase his possession back. You and I have been lost to God in the world through sin. And through that sin, we had a new master. And that master demanded payment. There's a payment for sin. And God sent his son to re purchase his possession back to him he paid our ransom folks God had a predetermined plan in mind on how to receive you and I back to himself after being lost why because God has integrity and like we said he cannot be a part of sin so he had to provide a plan and that plan was Jesus Gomer She cost Hosea 15 shekels and a a homer and a half of barley. That was what the predetermined worth was. You know what it cost God for you and I? It cost the price of his son. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. The price that was required was life for life. And he paid that price for us with his son. A price that you and I could not fulfill. Verse 7. According to the riches of his grace. He provided that for us. That abounded towards us. That is unbelievable. Totally unbelievable. That God would do that for us. Now I want you to see that grace pursued us. Hosea was told to go find her and he searched and pursued and finally found where she was on the auction block. Grace pursued you and I. 
It says, again up there in verse 6, it says, By the praise and glory of the grace of God, He accepted us in Christ. That word accepted means to be highly favored and pursued because you are highly favored. It's used one other time in the Bible. And it's when the angel came to Mary and said, Yo, you who are highly favored of God and chosen to bear the Messiah. That's the other time that this word is used. The only other one. You and I, just as they went and pursued Mary, God pursues you and I with His grace and the story of that Messiah that He has covered your sins. Let you be accepted, highly favored and sought after, redeemed, repurchased back to me by the blood of my Son. As our worship team returns today, when I learned that, And I really felt the impact of a life that Hosea and Gomer reflected as what my life and relationship to God was. It struck me. Wore me down. And then to find out, though, that even after I'd been chasing the world and everything that was in it, he came back and said, You're still highly favored. I'm going to repurchase you back again. If you will accept my payment for you. And then he also, just like he told Hosea and had him to tell Gomer. He says, what I ask is you're free. I've freed you. But I would ask that now you would at least stay with me and walk with me. Isn't that the least That I can do. For the one who's pursued me with grace. And paid my penalty. Is that not the least I can do? You know Jesus said. In John 8. 31 and 32. He said if you will follow my word. Be my disciple indeed. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And that truth is the redemption the payment, the purchase price that has been given in place for us for our life with God. All he asks now is that we be a disciple. And that means to walk with him the way he asks us to in his word. And I pray that every one of us today will make that decision. And if you're not a child of God, if you've not received the freedom of shackles of sin, in your life because you haven't named the name of the only begotten Son of God as your Savior, I pray that you do that today. Don't leave this place still shackled to sin. If you're a Christian and you have made that, work now to be a disciple and to follow His Word and to follow Him and His ways and to stay with Him so that we might be to Him Praise, glory, and honor for the gift that was so freely bestowed upon us.
Let's pray. Father, sometimes I'm just amazed at what a lot of these servants of yours in the Old Testament went through in faith because you asked them to. And you provided for us so freely. And all you ask is follow me and and be my disciple and live and declare me to the world so that it'll bring praise, glory, and honor. That's grace and mercy. And I pray for understanding on how it can be so, but it is. And Father, I pray your grace and your mercy and your blessing upon every individual and their families that are here today. In Jesus' name, amen.